Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Major U.S. stock markets managed to finish a holiday-shortened week with strong rallies. The Dow Jones was up 254 points on the day. Earlier in the day, it was up better than 400. So the last hour did see uh, U.S. markets giving up part of their gains. The Nasdaq up 114 points. S&P up 35.87 points. So these rallies today were enough to put the markets in the black for the week, but not for the month. All the markets down significantly in the month of March and also for the first quarter. All the major stock market indexes are down. This was the first time in 10 quarters. We had nine consecutive positive quarters. I think that's a record. I'm not sure. Uh, But nine consecutive up quarters for U.S. stock market finally broke that winning streak. Uh, We'll see how investors who thought U.S. stocks could only go up, we'll see how they may react to their first down quarter in 10 But it's not going to be uh, the last down quarter. I think this could be the beginning of several more down quarters to come. Remember, the market action that I've been observing really, to me, looks like a bear market. I mean, today, of course, window dressing. Oftentimes, you see these uh, rallies on the last day of a quarter. Um, Managers maybe are trying to buy up some of the stocks they own to dress up their statements so the statements look better so they can bill on, uh, you know, higher portfolio values. And, you know, if you have enough people, you know, doing the same thing, painting the tape, whatever you want to call it, uh, you can get some of these rallies. But my guess would be that we could quickly undo uh, this rally next week when the second quarter begins. And maybe some people who are looking at the quarterly performance decide that this is it. You know, we broke the upstring and let me allocate some money out of U.S. stocks, whether it's the bonds or whether it's the foreign stocks or just they want to go to cash, whatever. We can certainly see some reallocations beginning early next quarter, especially if some of these downtrends that really broke out in some of these major stocks. I talk about some of the big losers on my last podcast and a lot of those stocks got clobbered again yesterday. They did manage to rally back today. I mean, maybe Donald Trump was being careful about the tweets that he sent out today because he didn't want to screw up the final day of the quarter. He wanted to make sure that some of his supporters uh, get a stock statement with as high a value as possible. So maybe he kept quiet for a day, but who knows what he's going to be doing next week. But I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see a resumption of these trends and we start to see some people moving out of U.S. stock market. Meanwhile, the U.S. economy, I think, continues to look very shaky, despite the fact that the Atlanta Fed came out today and now their Q1 forecast is up to 2.4% from 
1.8. I know I've been reading these comments. There's somebody that keeps like busting my balls over my talk about the Atlanta Fed because it's actually a model that just, you know, is on autopilot. It's not that there's a bunch of guys at the Atlanta Fed sitting in a room and making a forecast based on what they think that there's actually a model. I mean, I know that I don't have to get into the intricacies of how the number is derived. I'm just talking about what the number is, what the Atlanta Fed is forecasting based on their model, right? It doesn't matter if it's based on their model or they just took a vote and they just decided that was what they thought. The, the point is what the model is forecasting at a particular point in time, because those numbers are out there. People look at that. People, oh, they respect that. It's coming from of the Fed, right? So it must be a good model, right? After all, the Federal Reserve's got that model. Of course, you know, a lot of other estimates come out, but I, I like to use the Atlanta Fed because, you know, they, they update it a lot. And it's supposedly a real-time forecast of what that model would assume the GDP is going to end up being based on where it is right now. That's why it's GDP now. Uh, and so that GDP now is now up to 2.4%. And I still think that that's an optimistic forecast because I don't believe the data is going to continue to be consistent uh, with what they think is a snapshot now. Now, the reason for the positive move was the big jump in inventories. Now, that actually offset a larger than expected gain in the trade deficit, which would subtract from GDP. But you had this big inventory build and inventory is a positive contributor to GDP. But that's a two-edged sword because when you see this big buildup in inventory, there's a good chance that all you're doing is borrowing GDP from the future, that we're taking GDP from the second quarter and moving it forward into the first quarter. Because if uh, companies can't sell that inventory, then the inventories are going to draw down. And I don't think they're going to be able to sell it. I think, again, it's about businesses being overly optimistic about what their customers can afford to buy. There's all this optimism out there. People believe that the recovery is going to continue, that you know everything is great. And so they're, they're preparing for that. Businesses don't want to be caught empty-handed, and so they're stocking up on inventory, even though the sales are not there. Uh, and so the inventory-to-sales ratios are moving higher. And, uh, you know, this is all going to drag out uh, from future GDP. So I'm not excited about this. To me, it makes sense that the inventories are building if people aren't buying the stuff. And so it's sitting there on the shelves, piling up. And that, to me, is not indicative of a strong economy. In fact, we got uh, some economic news today. The Chicago PMI number dropped uh, for the third consecutive month, coming in well below forecast. They were looking for 62.8. Uh, they got 57.4. That's about the lowest level in a year. And at the same time, the, the prices paid index is really jumping. So you're seeing uh, the economy slowing and you're seeing inflation is measured uh, by consumer prices picking up. So these are not good signs. So you've got a weakening economy. You've got a stock market that to me is now in a bear market, not a bull market. And that was really the driver. A lot of the optimism was a function of the stock market. Right? A lot of the reason that people felt good about the economy was because the stock market was so high. In fact, that's what Donald Trump kept talking about. The market's hitting new highs. The market's hitting new highs. I'm doing a great job. The economy is booming because the market is making new highs. So a lot of the belief that the economy was doing great had to do with the stock market. But then again, the stock market was going up because everybody believed the economy was doing great. 
So, you know, basically there was really no proof that the economy was doing great because the market was just buying it on faith. And then people were reacting to the market by saying, hey, the market's up, the economy must be doing great. But the market's only up because people expect the economy to do great. Meanwhile, it's not. And the main reason that people expected the economy to do great was because we had all these tax cuts, right? Well, I mean, just cutting taxes ain't gonna do it. I mean, you can't look at the tax cuts in a vacuum. You gotta look at what else is going on. You gotta look at higher interest rates. You gotta look at bigger budget deficits. You gotta look at the fact that government is bigger and more expensive now than it was before we cut taxes. And you have to think, okay, how are we gonna pay for that government? Because we're not gonna get it for free, right? We're not gonna get something for nothing. So how is that government gonna be paid for? It's gonna be paid for by larger deficits. It's gonna be paid for by more money printing, more inflation. And so I think that is going to be a bigger drag on the economy than whatever boost uh, that you might get from the tax cuts. And by the way, these tax cuts are extremely complicated. I mean, I'm already doing my taxes uh, for my offshore businesses, not the ones in Puerto Rico, the ones offshore. And there's a lot of work to do. I have some taxes to pay that I've never had to pay before. So in that respect, I'm getting a tax hike. But the forms are really complicated. And, you know, I'm finding out, too. For the first time, because I'm going to be filing a tax return as a Puerto Rican um, resident, right? I've never been a resident. This is going to be my first tax year that I live in Puerto Rico. But I'm finding out how complicated all this is because in many cases, even though I'm not paying taxes on my U.S. income uh, in Puerto Rico, I still have to disclose all that stuff on my tax returns here. So they're still very complicated. And on my U.S. tax returns, I've got so much stuff that I've got to disclose even, even income that is not even taxable, I still got to put it in there. Uh, so the taxes are very complicated. I think people are going to find that their tax preparation costs are going way up. Even if their taxes might go down, the cost to file their returns is going up. And, of course, not everybody is getting a tax cut. There are a lot of people who are getting tax hikes as a result of the tax cuts and jobs bill. So this is not going to deliver all of the, the economic gain that so many people have been expecting. And a lot of people are expecting it in 2018, in this year, right? I mean, they forgive the fact that last year, in fact, that we did get the GDP, uh, and I think they revised it. It was a little higher. It was 2.9 for the final quarter. I think that lifted the entire year of 2017 to 2.3. Everybody just expects that 2018 is going to be much better than that. I've got a feeling that that's the high watermark. It might be the high watermark for the entire uh, Trump presidency, because a lot of the problems are going to be weighing the economy down in 2018 and 2019 that maybe weren't bogging it down as much in, in 2017. And of course, in 2017, everybody was still optimistic that all this stuff was going to work, that the tax cuts were going to work, that this infrastructure program that we don't even have yet was going to work. But this is the year that we're going to find out that it ain't going to work. In fact, not only is it going to work, but the problems uh, that a lot of people we're afraid of under Obama, they're going to come to fruition under Trump, that we didn't solve those problems by electing Trump. Maybe we delayed the day of reckoning a bit. But again, remember, government is a lot bigger now than it was when Obama left office. For all the talk about cutting the size of government when Republicans were in the minority and all the objections about deficits, bigger deficits and runaway government spending, 
The Republicans forgot all about that the minute they had the majority in the White House, and they just started doing the same thing that they criticized the Democrats for doing. Uh, they're big spenders. They're having a spending party. And so there's no fiscal restraint at all. And that was part of what people were hoping was going to happen, that government was going to be reduced in size, right? Not simply that we were going to have bigger deficits to finance a larger government, but that we were going to have smaller government and therefore we could have a lower tax rate based on the fact that government would be less expensive and therefore require lower taxes or less taxes to support it. So none of that actually happened. So a lot of bad stuff, I think, is going to be surprising investors, economists in, in 2018. And this is just a small taste. This first down quarter in, um, in 10 quarters is the tip of an iceberg. Things are about to get a lot worse uh, for the U.S. stock market. And again, I said, unfortunately, we had a lot of uh, a lot of Europe Pacific Capital clients making a decision last year uh, to get into the U.S. stock market after sitting it out for you know the entire run, uh, finally uh, you know capitulating and thinking that they got to join the party because the party's never going to end. Well, the party is over, and you know not only is it over in the stock market, U.S. stock market, it's really over in the cryptocurrency market. And, you know, I talked about Europe-specific clients getting into the U.S. stock market. I also talked about Europe-specific clients getting into the crypto market. Now, I've had clients of mine who have you know, been buying cryptocurrencies for a long time. And some of my clients were some of the earliest buyers of cryptocurrencies. And I have some clients that, you know, that made a lot of money in, in cryptos. Um, but I never had clients closing their accounts to invest in cryptos until last year, right? And that was something that happened in the latter part of last year. And I talked about it on these podcasts. I don't remember, you know, the exact, you know, episodes, but I mean, I remember talking about it and it wasn't nearly as many, right? I mean, but it was certainly a handful of people, probably fewer than 10. And I think at least half of them, I was able to talk out of doing it, right? So I, I said, what are you crazy? Like, how could you do this, right? Uh, but the other half, you know, I couldn't talk out of them. And this is, you know, significant amounts of money. And sometimes it was retirement money, IRAs, where people were transferring them to another broker that would enable them to put their entire account into, into cryptocurrencies. And cryptocurrencies, I think, just had their worst quarter ever. I mean, I'm not 100% sure of that. I mean, I know that there have been big drops in the crypto space, you know, since the beginning. But I don't know if the drops occurred over entire quarter or if these were just, you know, big drops and then they quickly recovered. But this has been a terrible quarter. Every cryptocurrency was down. I mean, I think the, the worst one was was Ripple. I mean, Ripple got ripped apart on the quarter. I mean, it's down better than 70 percent just in the quarter. Now, of course, you know, it went way up uh, before that. Uh, but all these cryptocurrencies are down. The big ones, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, I mean, everything got clobbered. As I am recording this, uh, Bitcoin is about 72.50. The low, I'm looking at Bitstamp, probably about 10, 15 minutes ago when I started this podcast, I saw it hit the low. The low so far on Bitstamp is 7,006. Um, now, probably Bitcoin has gotten below 7,000 on some other exchange, you know, because there's a lot of different exchanges that trade it. I'm just looking at this one right now, but there the low was 7,006. I have no idea, you know, what the low is going to be by the time I finish this podcast or by the time anybody listens to it. 
Uh, but the air is coming out of this bubble. But Bitcoin is actually doing better than a lot of the altcoins because I've noticed that the um, percentage of total market cap that is represented by Bitcoin has now been creeping higher. I think right now it's up to about 45.5% of total uh, market cap, 45.6. I just refreshed the screen with a total market cap of 266 billion where it is right now. And of course, you know, Bitcoin is actually, this is showing Bitcoin at 7166. I know it's, yeah, that's about where it is. So, so the other altcoins have actually done worse. In fact, Bitcoin, I think is not quite below the low that it hit, um, but a month or two, month or two ago when it collapsed and it was, you know, it, in fact, it's still above that low. I think the low uh, was maybe, I think it was, I think it got below 6,000 briefly. But while Bitcoin has not made a new low, most of the other cryptocurrencies have. I mean, if you look at Ether, I mean, it is way below its low. I mean, Ether now is below 400. It was up at, what, 1400 at the peak. Uh, and now it's below 400. I'm looking at 393 last. I mean, I think there's probably going to be some support in Ether around 300. Because that's where it broke out. I mean, that's when it, you know, it ran from 300 straight up to 1400, you know, like a rocket ship. And now it's coming down almost as fast. But, you know, if it breaks 300, I mean, it can go to 200, go to 100. I mean, who knows? And of course, it breaks 100. I mean, you know, it can go to zero. And eventually it probably will, just like all these other cryptocurrencies. But, you know, one of the things I'm hearing by, you know, the, the people who are, oh, don't worry about it, you know, hold it forever, you know, is that this volatility is par for the course, right? That Bitcoin had many, many times in its history where it dropped 60, 70, 80 percent. And all you had to do is hold on and it came back. And so this is normal market trading. This is normal volatility. And so, you know, that's just the way it is, right, with Bitcoin. But this really is different. Right? And one of the main reasons, let's say you go back five or six years ago, whenever it was, and let's say Bitcoin went from ten dollars down to $2, right? That was an 80% drop, right? And then, of course, it went a lot higher, right? That drop back then is not the same as Bitcoin going from 20000 to 7000 right? It's night and day. Even though the percentage might be the same, um, the, the impact is very different. Because first of all, very few people relatively were involved in the crypto space when Bitcoin was 10 bucks than are involved now. And most people were playing with a small amount of money. It was like a game. I mean, maybe somebody put $10 in the Bitcoin, right? Somebody bought one Bitcoin for 10 bucks and then it went down to two bucks or three bucks. I mean, and they're down seven, eight dollars. You think they care? No, it's like, that's like a movie ticket. It's like they went to the movies. It's entertainment. People were playing a game. In fact, if you put 10 bucks in, and it went down to 2 or $3, ah, I'll put another 10 in, let's see what happens, right? It was no big deal, right? Because when you're playing with, with play money, I mean, it's, anybody can, can deal with that, right? Even if you put 100 bucks in, and it went down to 20 30 bucks. I mean, what is that, $70, $80 lost? That's like playing around a golf, big deal. Nobody is going to care, right? But this is totally different. When you have people investing real money, not just their, their play money, Right? When you have people taking out a, a home mortgage to buy $10,000, $20,000 worth of Bitcoin, taking out a cash advance on their credit card 
to buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin when you have a client of Euro Pacific, a guy taking a $50,000, $100,000 IRA and putting it all into Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrencies? This is real money. People are going to react very differently when they lose real money than when they lose play money. Right? This is No one is making this distinction. The amount of money that has been lost on this decline on paper and maybe in reality for people right, is so much bigger than has ever been lost in the past based on any other decline, even if that decline was similar in, uh, in, in percentage. And I, I said this a couple months ago, and it's even more true today, that there are more people that own Bitcoin at a loss than own it at a profit. Right? Because so many people piled into Bitcoin in November, December, January, when, when they launched the futures contract, right? And there was all this excitement and all these coins were exploding. Why do you think they were exploding in price? Because so many people were buying them. All of those people are now down. Now, is everybody down? No. The people that bought years ago, they're still up, but they're fewer in number to the people who just bought. And the people who just bought, a lot of them bought in with real money, not their play money, because by then people were talking about this as a real investment. All of a sudden there was a real excitement. Back when Bitcoin was very few people would put 10 grand into there. I mean, why? It could disappear. There was no track record. I mean, what is this thing? I'm not going to risk $10,000 on this. But by the end of last year, people were so confident that it would keep going up because CNBC reported about it every day as if it was legitimate, right? There was all this coverage. All these smart people were talking about how it was going to keep on going, how this was new technology, how it was like the internet all over again how it was like the automobile, right? And the people who didn't understand it, you know, they, they were stuck in the horse and buggy age. So all of a sudden, people had the courage to put large amounts of money in when they didn't have that courage years earlier because they didn't have the legitimacy. They didn't have the covers. They didn't have uh, the validation. And of course, you had all these stories about how rich everybody got who bought into this and how everybody who bought Bitcoin was a genius, and people like me who didn't buy, well, we're a bunch of idiots because, you know, we missed out on making all this money. And so you had that mentality. And I pointed it out at the time. It was a classic blow-off top to a, a bubble. And in fact, I looked on the market yesterday because it's not just the cryptocurrencies themselves, but people have bought into stocks that people believe will benefit from the crypto space, whether they're miners or just companies that are somehow involved in Bitcoin or blockchain because they changed their name and they stuck the word blockchain on the end of it. These stocks have been getting killed. I mean, even though the Bitcoin, the cryptocurrencies weren't even down yesterday, I noticed that all these stocks were getting clobbered. And I, you know, I put out this tweet and I said, look, these stocks are getting murdered, these crypto stocks. I mean, this has got to be a bad sign for the underlying currencies. I mean, because they're probably a leading indicator of what's about to happen. And there is nothing but air still beneath these uh, charts. There is a long way to go uh, on the downside. And so far, I haven't seen a crash, right? I mean, the stocks are down. I mean, I guess if the stock market was down 10% in one day, we would all be talking about a crash. But when Bitcoin is down 10% in one day, I mean, that's no big deal because it has plenty of days where it's down 10%. No one bats an eye. But we're not down 50%. We're not down 80%. That day is coming. We're going to have some kind of capitulation day where people just puke these things up. 
that haven't happened yet. I mean, this is a very orderly decline where we just keep going down and down and down. And these uh, currencies have broken through their chart support. Of course, CNBC is not giving anywhere near the coverage to Bitcoin on the way down that it gave on the way up. But, you know, I'm reading more and more stories. Reddit, I just saw yesterday, which I guess used to accept Bitcoin, maybe through BitPay. They decided they're not going to accept it anymore. It's not worth it. It's too cumbersome. It's too volatile, too expensive, whatever. They're, you know, so they're backing away. So rather than more companies adopting Bitcoin as a payment method, some of the companies that adopted it in the past are getting rid of it. So, you know, it's going in the opposite direction of what all the the hype was was about. So all this mania is wearing off. And I know there's still a lot of people that are expecting um, the big institutional money to come in because a lot of money was coming in. Yes, I think there was a lot of money that was prepared to come in based on all the momentum, but I think they may have be second guessing that now. I mean, that was everything looked great when it was a one-way uh, bet up. But now that you've seen you know 70% or more declines in these cryptocurrencies with no bottom sight, I think it's a different story. I think some of the institutions that didn't get involved are just glad they didn't, and I don't think they're going to make the mistake of doing it. I mean, everybody expects the institutions to come in bargain hunting here and like, oh, we're going to pick these up. How is it a bargain? Based on what? Based on some insane price that some idiot paid uh, a few months ago that it's a bargain? I think that the greed was what was potentially putting the money in, but I don't think people are going to think they're value investors buying Bitcoin. Let's say Bitcoin goes to 5000 Someone's going to say, oh, this is a great deal. I'm, buying, I'm getting a super great deal on Bitcoin. I'm buying a coin for only $5,000. Value based on what? Based on the fact that it was at 20000 Or what about based on the fact that a few years earlier, it was at 20 bucks? You know, how is 5000 represent a value? You know, the main value that Bitcoin had was that it was going up. That was its value. In fact, that was the value that every cryptocurrency had, was that it was going up. And if you bought it, it would keep going up and you can make money. The minute these currencies are going down, they have no value because now the momentum is down. So the only way they have value is if you want to bet that the trend is going to reverse. But why would you want to bet against the trend? It was one thing to bet on the trend and just assume it was going to keep going. But why would you want to bet against the trend? Because the trend can keep going, right? And, and you just get wiped out because there is no way to know the intrinsic real value of any of these cryptocurrencies. I think it's all zero. But if the value is based on the fact that you think some greater fool will pay more, well, it's obvious the greater fools have already bought in. There are no more greater fools. The only question is, how much longer are the fools who bought going to hold on before they sell? And I don't even think we've seen the beginning of the big selling. I think most of the money that got in early is still in. And people still believe the market's going to come back. What's going to happen when the holders finally fold? Right? When people who bought in at 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, that saw it go all the way up to 20,000, at what point do they say, you know, I'm getting out. I'm going to preserve what I've got. Now, again, we're going to see too, come April 15th, there may be a lot of crypto guys that need money to pay their taxes because maybe they sold their Bitcoins last year, right? And bought other digital currencies with their profits. Now they've lost most of those profits, but they still owe the taxes from last year's gains that they realized. And I mentioned this on my podcast, they can't offset last year's gains with any of this year's losses. 
So a lot of people are going to be in for a rude awakening. In fact, there's probably going to be a lot of people that are going to have tax bills that they can't even pay. Even if they liquidate all their remaining cryptocurrencies, they're not going to have enough to pay what they owe on the gains that they don't even have anymore. And so this is going to be another disaster. And of course, what's probably going to happen next year with all these losses? The politicians are going to come in looking to blame people, looking to regulate somebody. You know, people who bought Bitcoin and lost a bunch of real money, they're going to be looking for somebody to sue. Right. Yeah. The guy that put in, you know, 100 bucks and if he lost 70, 80 of it, he's not going to sue anybody. Plus, no lawyer is going to take the case because there's not enough money in there. But you get some older person or any person who put their entire IRA into cryptocurrencies. You better believe that the company that allowed that is going to get sued. Right. Some lawyer is going to take that case on contingency and they're going to say you never should have allowed somebody to gamble their retirement money away. On something like this. Believe me, it's coming and more regulations are going to come in. Just, just like when the dot-com bubble burst. Remember all the regulation after the fact, right? Real estate market collapse. They come out. We need more regulations, right? They never want to regulate the bubble before it pops because they don't want to rain on anybody's parade, right? Because everybody is happy during the bubble. Everybody is making money. But after the bubble pops and all the money is lost, that's when the government comes out to try to protect us, right? They want to close the door after there's no horses left in the barn, right? And so that, I think, is going to happen. And that's just going to compound the problems for these cryptocurrencies. So, again, my advice is still get out. Yes, we're way down. In fact, I remember I had one of my clients who is now all out of, of cryptos. And he sent uh, a lot more money. The guy's made millions of dollars. I have several clients like this, by the way who have you know, made a lot of money off of other people's foolishness is basically what he did. And I think, I forget if he was in Dogecoin or Dash or one of these other ones, but he finally got out. And I think he was getting out 60 or 70% below the peak. And he was kind of upset that he lost this money. And I had to remind him, you didn't lose any money. You are making a ton of money getting out now. Yes, you could have gotten out at a higher price, but then maybe you would have gotten out at a lower price had you sold a year ago. Look, nobody's going to get the top. Very few people are going to get the top. You know, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. You can't be a pig. Now, he should have unloaded some at the top, but you know, or near the top. But you know, when everything is going straight up, no one wants to be the idiot who sells, right? Right? Because that's what you think, right? But at least he made the decision. He sold some closer to the highs and then sold a lot more well off the highs. And of course, now it's much lower than where he got out or lower than he got out. Um... And, you know, but he got out with, with, with gains. And more and more people are going to make that decision to take what's left of their winnings off the table, um, you know, before, before they actually are losing money. But, of course, there are so many more people who have just losses. They didn't even come to the casino, right, until late last year. And they bought it at the top. When are they going to cut their losses and run. When are they going to decide, hey, I've lost half my money. Let me get off out before it's 90% of my money. Because at some point, that is going to happen. And we'll see. I mean, it could happen over this weekend. We could have a big drop. I mean, we tend to have a, um, a history from what I've been watching of big uh, declines in the cryptos over the weekends. And this is a you know, holiday weekend. You've got Good Friday tomorrow, the first day of Passover. So it's a long holiday weekend. So that's three days of potential carnage uh, that could happen over this long weekend. Uh, now, you know, I don't know. Maybe something will happen. Maybe some, somebody will buy the dip. But to me, 
a lot of people already bought this dip and it didn't work. Right? We've made new lows on most of the cryptocurrencies. It's only a matter of time before Bitcoin makes a new low. That means everybody who lost, who bought the last dip is going to lose. And of course, after that dip, there was a rally. And if you bought into that rally, I mean, Bitcoin, after it got down to, what, 6,000, wherever it hit, it got back up to 12,000, 13,000. Now it's down to 7,000, right? Or 7,150 as I'm, as I'm talking. But the people who bought into that rally thinking, oh, the bull market was back, well, they're wrong, right? Now they're down. And so these people are going to give up. A lot of people are going to capitulate. And I know, you know, a lot of people are going to want to say, oh, Peter Schiff, you know, you're just, you're just saying this. I mean, you're, you're just trying to get people to buy gold. Yeah, I want people to buy gold, but it's not because I want people to buy gold that I'm calling out a Ponzi scheme or a bubble in these cryptocurrencies. This is not gold. This is not digital gold. This is fool's gold. It doesn't matter that it went way up because it's going to come crashing down. Meanwhile, gold, you know, pulled back substantially. It got above 1350. Uh, couldn't hold it. Then it had almost like a $20 drop yesterday. A lot of that had to do with a big fall that we had in the yen. And, you know, for some reason, gold and the yen are pretty highly correlated. And I don't expect that uh, relationship to, to sustain, you know, over the long run. But there is a correlation now. It's more technical, I think, than fundamental. I, mean, I think the yen is considered a safe haven. Gold's considered a safe haven. And so, you know, when money is flowing into safe havens, they kind of move together. And I think when people see big moves in the yen, the computers automatically get into the gold pit. And what actually drove the yen down was some, I guess, some optimism over peace talks with North Korea. Why that is bad for the yen? It's not bad for the yen. But it made people think, oh, this is good, so we don't need the safe haven, so let's sell the yen. And then, of course, they sold gold. But a weak yen is not necessarily weak for gold. In fact, a weak yen can be positive for gold if it means there's more inflation in Japan, more money printing in Japan, more reason for the Japanese to buy gold. And ultimately, it's going to be weakness in all the fiat currencies and weakness in cryptocurrencies. That is going to create real demand for gold all over the planet. I mean, I've said this in the past, but I did believe and still believe that some part of gold's thunder had been stolen by these cryptocurrencies because of the enormous profits in the cryptos relative to, you know, the more meager profits in, in gold. People are like, well, why buy gold? I mean, if I think there's going to be inflation, if I'm worried about the markets, if I'm worried about fiat currencies, let me just buy Bitcoin, because that's like gold supercharged, gold on steroids. So why don't I buy that? Well, now we're about to find out the downside of steroids, right? What happens when it all wears off, right? What happens when you get older and you now you got problems? I mean, it's not like these coins are that old, but they've already got problems. By the way, gold now had a positive quarter. This is the third consecutive positive quarter for gold. Despite the fact that the Fed is raising rates every quarter, gold keeps going up every quarter, confounding the experts. But ultimately, it is going to break out. It's going to break out with a vengeance. I don't know, again, where that point is. You know, how much above 1350 is it going to have to get to trigger all that buying? But ultimately, I think a collapse in these cryptocurrencies will just be another reason for people to take another look at gold as a real store of value, as a real safe haven. And maybe some of the people who have been buying cryptos instead of gold Maybe as they bail out of their cryptos and take either what's left of their profits or they cut their losses short rather than having bigger losses, right? Maybe they'll take that money and they'll put it into, into gold. And by the way, if you're going to put your money into gold, 
and you have it in cryptos right now, you can do two things at the same time. You can kill two birds with one stone. You can go to Shift Gold, and and you can use your your crypto to buy uh, gold, or you know you can go to Gold Money and open up an account and fund it with your crypto, and then take your cryptos and buy gold. Of course, you could fund it with dollars or euros or pounds or or or, or, or yen or whatever currency you happen to have. And buy gold because all these currencies are going down, whether they're digital currencies or fiat currencies, uh, they're all going to go down. People are going to look for a real safe haven, a real inflation hedge, because inflation is about to hit like a tsunami and people aren't prepared for it. I mean, the people who thought they were prepared for it and loaded up on cryptocurrencies didn't realize that they got out of the frying pan right into the fire. Now, if you were smart enough or lucky enough or dumb enough, to have made that jump a few years ago, you can still get out, right? You're actually better off and you could buy gold now. Of course, if you made that decision more recently and you're down, you better wise up, right? You better cut your losses, realize you made a mistake, right? Taking a small loss is much better than taking an enormous loss. And a lot of people like to pretend, well, if I don't sell, I didn't lose money. Well, you're never going to sell, right? So the money is gone, whether you realize the loss or not. Because if this is a bubble and these currencies are going to collapse, not selling is just like being in denial. It's like an ostrich sticking his head in the sand and assuming he's safe, right? No predators are going to see him, right? Well, it's, it doesn't work for the ostrich and it's not going to work for holders of cryptocurrency that want to bury their heads in the sand and just assume if they do nothing, they're going to be fine because the market's going to come back. Because one of these days, it's not going to come back. And you don't know that we haven't already seen the highs, that the bubble is over and the air is coming out. So recognize, okay, I came late, you know, I took a shot, it didn't work, let me cut my losses short, and you can make those losses back in gold. Believe me, I think the price of gold is not just going to double over time, triple, quadruple, I think we're going five to 10,000 in the price of gold, and so whatever you lost in the cryptos, you can make it back in gold. It's not too late, but if you hold on and you lose 90, 95, 99%, then there's no way to make that money back. But if you get out now with a 20, 30, 40, 50% loss, you've got enough left that you can make it back uh, in gold or silver. And if you're talking about more substantial money, look, yeah, you can make it back in gold stocks even more, in foreign stocks, in emerging markets. There's a lot of real investment opportunities that are out there as long as you salvage enough money to take advantage of it. Anyway, hope everybody has a great a holiday, uh, you know, whether you're celebrating Passover, whether you're celebrating Easter, and we'll be back again uh, next week with more podcasts.